Well, Ben, uh, of all the games, that was certainly one of them. Yeah. I'll tell <laughs> oh, you my that. goodness. Good heavens. The Blue Jays <laughs> up 5-2 at one point in this game. You heard the play of the game earlier. Ryan O'Hearn jacks a three-run shot off Jordan Romano, his third blown save of the season. The Orioles score an extras, and... Ooh, the Blue Jays lose six to five. That is that's a tough way to lose. That's that's a really tough way to lose. Given I feel like we saw a lot of things tonight, this afternoon that were very promising in terms of George Springer with a three RBI night. We saw Alejandro Kirk with a pinch hit RBI single. We saw I thought I thought we saw some positives. Alec Manoa. I certainly will take a lot of positives out of Alec Manoa's start, but boy, good heavens, that is some some unfortunate decision making and some unfortunate ripple effects of the second mound visit with John Schneider when Alec Manoa was taken out of this game and of course the way this game ended as well with the uh, unfortunate run scoring and extras Blue Jays lose 6-5. Yeah I mean win probability is only as good as you really want to believe it but in the top of the eighth inning when the Blue Jays record the first out of the inning on Ryan Mountcastle. They're given a 93.4% win probability at that Don't point. Don't look at that chart. No. Yeah, it's Don't not a good chart. I mean, they even, you know, they have an, an 82% win probability in the bottom of the ninth inning at one point and do not convert. It, it, it felt like, kind of like you said with the positives, it felt like, you know, you never assume any game is done in baseball, but we're all human. I, I, I kind of assumed this game was pretty wrapped up, and it felt like we were going to come on here and say, wow, they really needed that one. They got it. Here are the big ways in which this is going to help them going forward. And we should say, you know, a win or loss, individual performances still do matter going yes, forward. Yes. But, yeah, they, they, you know, they had a shot at starting from Danny Jansen's walk-off on Sunday to make this a three-and-four week from Sunday to Saturday. It turns into a two-and-five week instead, and that doesn't feel great. Yeah, Danny Jansen, you mentioned him. He had another frozen rope into the seats today, which was very encouraging, obviously. You'd like to see his bat continuing to stay hot, not even heating up, but staying hot after the couple of walk-off wins we've seen in the past seven days or so. But, uh, yeah, 6-5 loss in extras after being up 5-2 late is not what you want to see. Of course, welcome to JSOC across the Sportsnet radio network. We are streaming live on Sportsnet.ca and on the Sportsnet app. Show Ali, Ben Shulman to my right. We're taking your calls and texts. Phone lines are open, 416-870-0590, 590 star 590 on your cellular device. 590-590 is where you can text us. That's the people's text line. And it is always open. So, so Ben, there's a whack of text here already. Yeah, I, I, I feel like the phone and text lines are going to blow up today. Uh, yeah, and look, if you look at the text line, I I would say, look, Mike in Halifax, I wanna, I'm going to hold on to Mike's text because he focuses on the good outing from Alec Manoa. So we, we can get to that. There are a lot of goods in yes. this game after we get through the bats. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like you said, there there are a lot of positives to take out of this one. I think for me, it Alec Manoa, George Springer, Danny Jansen, and maybe to a lesser degree, Alejandro Kirk. But It ends poorly, but Santiago Espinal, too. I mean, he went three for three he was, today. He was excellent. That's really all we need to say about that, but he went three for three today. He, he did, and then, and, left. And, and then he left with an injury, unfortunately, seemed to limp off the field. So, we can look, there are some positives to take out of this, but I know when you do these kinds of shows, people, like, you don't really want to be discussing moral victories and losses no. for games you should have won. And, like, there's a game, there's a text here. Uh, from Andrew in London, by far to me the worst loss of the season when your manager cannot even count to two 
it's going to be a bad game. And, and you know what? That is a sentiment that is echoed throughout the text line. I see another one here from Mike in Victoria. Uh, yikes, pretty hard for a team to pay attention to details when the manager forgets mound visits, which I think is a valid comment. Um, because those it, it, it is a brain fart. No way, like there's no other way to look at it, but it's a brutal brain fart for a major league manager to make. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll hear from John Schneider a little later on when he finishes speaking to the media, but that is a tough way to go. Uh, there's no name on this text, but it just says, uh, I wish more games were on Apple TV so I have an excuse to stop watching this team. <laughs> I, I feel like we've been duped. This team slash core hasn't won anything but lots of preseason talk about World Series. It is an incomplete team. And I, it's not a, it's not an entirely incorrect assessment to say, I don't know if I'd go so far to say we have been duped, but I do think it well, is correct to say that it, it is, to a certain degree, an, an incomplete, like an unfinished product, perhaps. Yeah, this isn't going to be a popular answer, but I don't think any World Series team was ever, and I'm not, I'm not declaring them a World Series team. That's for other people to decide. I don't think I've necessarily said that, but I, I don't think any World Series team was complete on May 20th, I do have to say. I mean, you know, the, the Houston Astros were not complete last year on May 20th. They added guys. So, And the Philadelphia Phillies, who played them in the World Series, added a litany of guys. Sure. So it's they're in a tough stretch. They've lost five of six. I do think that a couple weeks ago, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe we didn't have this foresight, but we did, we did at one point look at this schedule and just say, don't be shocked if in a couple weeks we're freaking out. The Blue Jays are bottom of the division. And things are going to turn around. That doesn't excuse them losing these games. It doesn't excuse them losing three series in a row now to divisional opponents if you go back to Boston at the beginning of the month. Certainly, they have to play better. But I would not judge the team after they win five in a row. I would not judge the team after they lose five out of six. You have to fall somewhere in the middle. I want to start or continue perhaps on the decision-making today by going back to the Alec Manoa being taken out of the game uh, event, let's call it, right? So, top of the sixth, Pete Walker goes out for a mound visit. He checks on Manoa. Okay, sure. Checks on him, goes back to the dugout with two outs, two on. John Schneider goes out to the mound, and he jogs out to the mound. He doesn't just call, stroll out to the mound. Jog, the jogging out to the mound, and we saw Brandon Hyde do it today, too. Yeah. The jog out to the mound has generally indicated, you don't see it too often from Schneider, but the jog does generally seem to indicate that it's going to be a chat with the guy on the mound to see how he's feeling. He said of a, that. Like, he confirmed that's kind of his strategy. Right. So it's a, it's it's not a foregone conclusion when you jog out the mound that the guy is going to be getting the yank. And it did look like Schneider was <laughs> yeah. going to leave Manoa out it there. Did. He turned to leave the mound it did. and started to walk back to the dugout. It's not it's not as though he was kind of, like, waffling on it. He, I think, made his decision to go back to the dugout and leave Manoa on there for one more out. Second mound visit of the inning means, of course, that the umpires tell him he has to make the pitching change, which I, I think he, I genuinely think he just forgot about. And again, we'll hear what he has to say, but that's like that is just a tough look, you know. Like for for a guy who's not even a year into being a major league manager, and I'm not, I'm, I am in no way calling for his head on this one, like in terms of making a change to like Don Mattingly or something like no. that, because I, I see that sentiment on the text line. But it, it, <laughs> like the rules in baseball are without a doubt and can be off and very Byzantine, but that is incumbent on him to know that. Even if it, it is a brain fart, but it's tough and he should know. He should know that. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think there's much of a, a defense we can put up here. You know, it's, it's certainly you would hope that 
he and Pete Walker, because they're in concert really on a lot of things pitching, right. would be aware of that. Ben did mention on the broadcast something about, you know, the pitch com and was it some sort of tactic and perhaps it could have delayed time. It's possible. I mean, again, we have to hear from Schneider. We'll see what we get from that. We'll see what, you know, comes out in reporting after this. Yeah, again, I don't think it's something to call for his head, but at the same time, you're right. Like, I don't expect people to be happy about it either. It's, it, it, I will say, for as that's not why they lost the game at all. Sure. Like, Tim Meza came in, recorded an out, and Tim Meza wasn't likely going to pitch in the spot where Jordan Romano gives up that home run anyway. But it was weird, <laughs> and it's not a great look. I, I agree there. Let's continue that conversation by going to the phone lines, 416-870-590, 590 star 590 on your cellular device. Adam calling in from North York. Adam, what's up? What's on your mind today? Well, that was the worst managed game they've had this year. Forget about that. They should have never gotten to the 10th inning. You have a man at first and second and nobody out and no one can lay a punt down and get the guys over to third? That should have, the game should have been landed there. And especially if you have Bobochet, your best batter is the best bat control. I don't get what happened. And then in the 10th inning, you have, as soon as they place a man on second, you should automatically, this to me is a no-brainer, you automatically intentionally walk the guy up so that there's a play at third base so nobody can bunt a guy over. And that they had two times to lose, and they uh, that to me forget about you know Romano gave up a run. That's what happens, and of course the, the brain part is the brain part. But to me, he's done this twice this year where he's not been able to produce a run in the bottom of the ninth, and I don't get it. Adam, thank you so much for the call. I, you know, I I'm not agreeing or disagreeing here i think a fact of baseball today is that your best hitter or two just isn't going to bunt and again i'm not i i totally understand adam's frustration i think in a a lot of people and and potentially rightfully so would want to bunt at the same time you know i I don't even know how many times bobachette has bunted in his major league career like not a lot and so i he could be great at it he could be poor at it i would say bat control on swings and bunts is a different thing but again i totally understand your point adam i i think with these struggles with runners in scoring position too it's even further you know kind of exposed to that point that maybe you need to do something unorthodox I do think in general that they aren't going to do that. I would say I disagree with the with the intentional walking a guy in the top of the 10th just because that sets up an opportunity where extra base hits could end up scoring more runs. And I don't think just putting a force at third stops a guy from bunting and, and advancing a guy to third. I, I think you get such a head start and you need your third baseman to wheel in and get the ball. If you bunt to third base the odds of turning around and getting a force out at third base with either your shortstop trying to beat the runner who has a lead and likely a head start because a lefty batters up so the shortstop shifted or drifted over if we want to use the modern terminology or your pitcher covering i do think that one's a little bit unlikely but i i get the frustration especially in a time like this mixing it up putting a bunt down i mean it it could have done a lot of good and even in the 10th inning you know that's not that's a situation where it's not a top-of-the-order hitter. Danny Jansen has been hot, but at the same time, you're down one. You could have potentially called on Jansen to bunt. Again, I, I don't even know how many times he's bunted 
in his major league career. So truthfully, I don't know if he's good or bad at it, but maybe, you know, that was an opportunity to bunt a guy over. But yeah, they, they have to be better with runners in scoring position. I, I don't think there's a specific thing that they can do. I mean, last year they went from one of the worst teams in the first two months to the next two months, essentially being the best team in baseball with runners in scoring position. Sometimes these things even out, but it's uh, it's painful before the evening happens. I see a text here on the text line. Uh, there's no, no, lo- no location on this, but there's a name, so that's always good. Uh, Kathy says, you guys can come away with whatever positives you want to contrive. Two <laughs> Thanks, for 15 Kathy. with the runners in scoring position is a big negative. Agreed. How is when, how slash when is moving the fences in going to start helping the Jays? They have been out-homered badly. Move the team to Dunedin or Buffalo. They will hit more homers. Kathy, you want the team out of the city? Yeah, I, Come I, on, I, Kathy. It, I, think, I think Kathy is utilizing hyperbole here. Kathy from, from Bradenton just texted <laughs> into the line. But she does end by saying there will be a manager change shortly. Again, I, I, I agree with Adam that there were not – it was not a, the best managerial game of John Schneider's career. The, the situations he mentioned, maybe some of the bullpen deployment as well, although I think a lot of that falls on – it was just un- it was a bad pitch from Jordan Romano, and he got hammered by by Ryan O'Hearn. But beyond that, there's a be a manager change shortly. I don't think so. I I I would be genuinely surprised. I remember we had this conversation last year. I was doing Jays talk after the Jays got uh, swept in Seattle, which was, uh, and then they had to come back home, and then affect like Montoya basically got relieved after that. And I remember a lot of people like, is he going to get let go? Is he going to get let go? And and you know what? Like at, at that point in the Blue Jays' development, I I can understand why they ended up doing it because Montoya had been the manager for a number of years, and you know they they were they were underachieving, and you can make the argument they are underachieving now, even though they are still above five hundred. But it is a very tough division that is to a certain degree going to be life in the AL East. But at the same time, John Schneider has been manager for. I don't even know. Le- certainly less, less than, than a whole season. Yeah, less, less than a than full season. Because again, he the about change, half a season. <laughs> the cha- <laughs> the change to Mo- from Montoya to Schneider happened effectively around the All Star break last year, and he was an interim manager for that entire time until the ta- the interim tag was removed. So, I would be surprised if there was a manager change in season at the very least. Yeah, John Schneider just managed his 120th game of his career, so about three quarters of his season. He is pretty high over 500. I mean, it's just a different situation, like you said. Charlie Montoyo had three – I mean, he did have the COVID season, but three full seasons and then another half season. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't expect that. Uh, so I, we do have that sound from John Schneider. He just wrapping up his media availability. Let's hear it. Here is uh, John Schneider. Uh, I, maybe there are some expletives in here that have been censored, as far as I'm aware, Ben. Wow. So here is uh, John Schneider discussing the mound visit with Alec Manoa earlier in the sixth inning. Uh, when it did come time for that mound meeting when he had to be lifted, uh, could you walk us through your side, your experience in that? Yeah, I f***ed up. Um, forgot Pete went out there. <laughs> we were talking about a lot of different stuff. <clears throat> um, liked what he was doing, and, uh, you know, he liked the matchup. You know, I, I won't share what was said on the mound from him, you know, initially, which kind of, you know, <laughs> took me back and made me laugh a little bit. Um, but he, I think, it, you know, regardless of my f- up, it was the right time to get him out and get Timmy in there. Well, at least we uh, we got we got the we got the expletives, which is good. But uh, he, he better he, than a he cover up. Yeah, yeah I mean, he, <laughs> he did, certainly he did own better. It. That is good. Yeah, I mean, it's look, what what exactly can you do about it? It, it happened. I'm I'm not defending it. It was not good. Uh, but on top of the fact that he has 
been pretty successful in the 120 games yeah. that he has managed the Blue Jays. They did also just sign him to a three-year contract with a fourth-year option. And typically you would not – if you had enough confidence in someone to sign them to a contract of three, potentially four years, you would not let go of them after a mistake in game 46 of the first season of that deal. Let's go back to the phone lines, 416-870-0590, 590 star 590 on your cell. Brad calling in from Red Lake. Brad, welcome to Jay's Talk. What's on your mind today? Hey, Joe. Hey, Ben. I just wanted to give a quick props to Jano. People were definitely itching for him to catch Manoa for a change of pace, and it worked today. He uh, definitely seems like the backbone of the Jays' pitching staff. And uh, to add on really quick uh, to what you guys were saying, it was, it was a rookie managerial mistake by Schneids, but it's a new rule. Like, wouldn't Madeline Lee maybe have made the same mistake? Hey, uh, Brad, thank you for the call. It's definitely possible. We don't, I, like, we definitely don't know if Mattingly would or would not have, but it definitely there's no there's no reason to think that any other manager would not have also perhaps had a brain fart in the same situation. I, again, it's something he should know. I'm not going to let, let him off the hook for that. It is something he should know, and he owned it himself. Um, so I'm glad he at least addressed it right off the bat with Keegan. You heard Keegan Matheson from MLB.com, his voice chatting with Schneid. So... Absolutely, uh, I agree on that. And then on the the Jansen note, uh, it's true that it did it did look like. And I, I I don't know where you fall on the Manoa start today, Ben, but the first inning, I thought there were a lot of non-competitive pitches. He was a little tentative, perhaps, kind of spring it a little bit, like we saw in that seven walk outing. And you know what? After that, I thought he settled down quite nicely. He he got some help definitely from. His uh, his his defense and yes, the Cedric Mullins hit was very hit very hard and was ended up uh, did end up getting ruled as a home run. But the, generally speaking, he just looked from the second inning to the time he was taken out. He looked more decisive. He looked more confident. He even used and Blake mentioned this a couple times during the broadcast, but he even used the slider as a putaway pitch. So it, it, for for someone who has struggled so mightily so far this season, especially with that. Uh, that slider of his. I, again, it wasn't the longest start of Alec Manoa's career, but I will take it given that he has effectively only had two really good starts before today. Yeah, it was one of his longer starts of the season, to yeah. be fair. And, and and you're right. I think he attacked a lot more. I think he looked a little bit more confident with the slider. Ends up with nine whiffs, which is solid. It's, you know, it's nothing to hit the headlines, but it's pretty solid. And like you said, I mean, he got some defensive help, but he also – not blaming someone here because you have to miss a couple to make a diving catch sometimes but you know if George Springer doesn't dive on the Adam Frazier hit in the second inning there might not have been a run scored that inning Frazier hits you know a hard single that turns into a triple because Springer gambled which he's going to do he makes tons of diving catches and like you mentioned every homer counts the same but Cedric Mullins scraped what is a homer here at the Rogers Center so I, I think you have to take this if you're Alec Manoa I agree, you know, that the, the change of pace worked, just as the caller just mentioned, that, you know, for now, I, I'm not saying that just because they had one good start, all of a sudden Alec Manoa is back to, you know, Cy Young finalist, and that Danny Jansen is for sure, you know, the prescription that was needed there. But at the same time, it worked well. You may as well keep it going. Alec, you know, clearly made some joke uh, to Schneider as he was coming off, smiling, confident. I think that's what you want to see from Alec Manoa. You hope he can string it together. And Jansen on the offensive side, too. I mean, that's that'll probably be a little bit underscored, but that's another hit for him. I believe it's a seven-game hit streak now for Danny Jansen in a week where the offense has gone almost completely cold. He has still been really hot. And, 
and is hitting his way into this lineup really as much as I think he's defending his way into it. I'll say this on Jansen catching from Manoa at the very least. I, I just don't think you can – again, I'm not saying Jansen did a poor job or that you can't have him do it occasionally going forward, but you can't have Jansen catch everyone, not well, even no, Chris Bassett essentially, right? Like He's going to get uh, – someone will get hurt if you catch yeah, him that Yeah, right, because like, Alandra Kirk has – caught very well I would say for a, a bulk of pitchers but cer- certainly most notably Chris Bassett because he's basically I don't know I, have we gotten to the point where we can say uh, Kirk is Bassett's personal catcher I don't it know but it's up a little it's, but, but it's, it's pretty part. close right yeah. but beyond that you can't have like you just can't have Jansen catch for four out of the five pitchers like you just can't right so if that's the case then I, I wouldn't mind seeing it be worked in a little more and seeing if uh I don't know. I don't know if I want to necessarily call it experimenting with the catchers because both the guys are obviously very good, and both of the guys are obviously also in the, in all the same meetings. It's not like Jansen is attending a meeting that Kirk is not, or vice versa. So they're all in there with the catchers, or the pitchers, all the time. So you know, it's just it's just not realistic to have Jansen catch like four of the five guys essentially. Yeah, I don't, especially with the history that he ha- he has. I don't think that it's likely, at least. And you know, if they play some musical chairs, I wonder, you know, if Kirk ends up on the battery with Yusei Kikuchi a little bit. I mean, it's not something to talk about today. There's a lot more going on, but Kikuchi, you know, not making it to five innings in three out of his last four starts, maybe a change of pace worth it for him too. So I'm sure they'll find a way to, to work it around, and some of it relies upon the guys hitting. I mean, if Jansen continues to hit, he will definitely take more and more days in the lineup, but you also have to manage him because while he had one of his best seasons last year, he did not play for the entire season due to injuries. Uh, let's go back to the phone lines, 416-870-0590, one 590 star 590 on your cell. Tony calling in from Maple. Tony, welcome to Talk. What's on your mind today? Hey, great program as always, guys. Um, Thank you. What's on my mind is this. Sports is, for us, entertainment. It provides us, you know, a way of enjoying an afternoon and whatnot. But for those that partake in it, that play it at the elite level, the professional level, excellence is expected all the time. Focus, 100%, uh, giving it all all the time. It almost becomes a culture with certain clubs. With the Jays, I would say the last seven, eight years, uh, you know, with the, the other players, the older guys like Bautista, uh, that some people kind of used to say uh, he was too, too serious, uh, I disagree. Uh, it's become now kind of a joke. You, you expect your players to go all out 100%, run the first base all out no matter what, and now you have a manager and a pitching coach that don't know the rules or don't follow what they did. That sets a bad precedent. I'm not, say, I'm not saying that it doesn't happen, can happen, but what I'm saying is it shouldn't happen, and these sort of things and this kind of fun, fun kind of attitude is not the way to be in professional sports. When you're being remunerated with salaries that you and I will never make in a lifetime, these guys make in six months. Tony, we appreciate the call. Thank you for calling in to Jay's Talk. I'm kind of of two minds on what Tony says because I actually do kind of agree with the the idea that it is tough when you as a manager and a coach – make mistakes it is a little tougher like not not a mistake in the sense of oh i just went to the wrong guy out of the bullpen and that guy didn't have it today like that is that is one kind of mistake but that what we saw today that is a that's a different kind of mistake right like in terms of something that like just just shouldn't happen and he he admitted it and again he owned it so good good for john schneider on that but i do think it it does make 
it a little more difficult to hold others accountable when you yourself are making errors. I suppose that is, to a certain degree, why John Schneider basically had to go out there today to the media and say, yeah, I bleeped up. Like, because if he, I, if, I feel like if he had said literally anything else, his credibility would kind of be a little more shot, essentially, right? Like, he didn't really have a choice uh, as to uh, otherwise to say, yeah, that's on me. That's entirely on me. Yeah, like he, he couldn't point. He can't point to Don Mattingly and say, "Oh, Don Mattingly should have stopped me from going out there." Like he, he, he I guess he could have, but uh, wouldn't have been a good look. Like he had to do what he did. He pretty much had to. Yeah, I mean, it, again, I, I, it's it's a hard thing to defend. I I don't know if I view it as macro, maybe as Tony does, sure. but to each their own. But it, it's it's a hard thing to defend and. I do think John Schneider maintains a pretty good authority with these guys. I mean, most veterans, frankly, in, in all professional sports, I think, understand kind of what they need to do. And then Schneider has been with these young guys and had incredibly successful minor league seasons, including winning with them. So I, I don't I don't think it undermines his authority with the team. And, you know, some of our, our greatest managers considered around the game have made some pretty notable mistakes. I mean – this is not to take a shot at anyone, but like the really, really revered tactician, Buck Showalter, mm-hmm. nearly had his major league career ended in Toronto because he stuck with Ubaldo Jimenez over Zach Britton, which I consider a mental mistake more than, uh, you know, one of those mistakes, like you said, where you go to the wrong guy. But yeah, it, it's hard to defend. I, I, it, it was not a great look. And, you know, I think you, you have to hope that that is a, a big learning experience. Managers can learn, too. It's not just the players who learn, especially younger managers. And I think you have to hope for the Blue Jays that that's a learning experience. And it benefits them, you know, in, in game 120, 140, 162 or deeper if they get there. What did you think of Tony's comment on, like, the idea of, of conducting yourself you know, quote unquote, as a professional, right? I think I thought that was an interesting comment because, and I only say this because we have heard that before, maybe from Tony, maybe from others, I'm not sure, but whether it's via the text line or on the phone lines, going back to last year, right? Going back to last year when you see all the joking hang, happening in the dugout and the home run jacket, and people didn't like a lot of that. Like some people loved it. I, I personally was one of those people. I enjoy that kind of stuff, but uh, but I, I can also understand why it's not for everyone. And because and the only reason I ask you this, Ben, is because this year I would say it is a more professional team. You know, you like does that make sense to you? Like, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily say this is a team that is like they they smile and they're like arms around each other when they win and like you know you walk off wins and they celebrate as you should, right? But like you don't see the same amount of maybe uh, uh, jovialness, perhaps, in the dugout as you would last year. I think the Blue Jays are one of the only teams that don't have a home run celebration this year. And I think, and again, p- maybe people want that. Maybe some, some, some don't. Maybe people do want to see celebrations. But my, my only point is I would disagree that they are not being professionals. Yeah, I, I, like I kind of fall on the side of Tony where I do sometimes, you know, if I, like when I was – growing up and watching a team if they were smiling too much you know even though i know they're having a great time they're playing baseball and it's their dream i would sometimes say like you know you're you're not winning right now but i i agree with you also in the sense that i don't really see this team as that and you know it's it's one of those things where i think the perception is different to different people and it's you know you can't quantify that that's certainly someone's opinion so i'm not saying tony is wrong it's his opinion of it but i don't see this team as a team that's 
joking around and messing around very much anymore. I mean, frankly, it's it's a much older team than it had been the last two years. It is it is veteran laden, and the youngest guys are even now you know 24, 25 instead of 21 and 22. So I, I don't see it at that. I, I I just think you know they made a couple of crucial mistakes and lost this game today. But I I I wouldn't chalk it up to that reason. But Again, it's it is you know one of those things that you can't really quantify. So I understand if people see it that way. Let's go back to the phone lines four one six eight seven zero zero five ninety one triple eight triple six zero five ninety star five ninety on your cell. We'll take one more call. Go take a quick break, and then we can resume taking phone calls and certainly go back to the text line as well. Lots of texts today five ninety five ninety, which is the people's text line. Uh, Gee calling in from Maple. Gee, what's on your mind today? Guys, what's the what if this is as good as it gets? I mean. Let's be honest here. This team, you know, outside of upper management and everyone else saying that they're going to go and win the World Series, you know, one thing that I was worried about um, after the month of April is you look at their you, you look at their first forty games. They went through four ten game segments where they went six and four, six and four, six and four, six and four, and the one constant was they had five guys hitting in, in Merrifield, Kiermaier, uh, Bichette. Guerrero Jr. and Chapman. And the one thing I was thinking was, okay, eventually Chapman's going to come back down to earth, obviously, and he's really come down to earth. But what happens when a couple of these guys struggle? You're going to have six holes in this lineup that can't do anything. And, I mean, you look at the bottom four or five of the lineup, depending on what, uh, what Schneider throws out there, some of these guys aren't even batting their body weight, including Biggio. And I just feel that this team, you know, we keep making excuses. Oh, the pitching, this, that, whatever. Maybe they're just not as good as the other team. Why does there always have to be an excuse? And, yeah, you know what? They're on pace for a 90-win season, and they're getting nothing out of four or five guys on, in their in their everyday lineup, nothing at all from their bench, which is a complete joke that hasn't been addressed, and inconsistency from three of their five starters. So, you know how do you, how is that a how is that a, a championship recipe and and let's be honest the people to blame for this is upper management I think they 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 were so worried about run prevention and so worried about get, getting left-handed bats two of the three guys that you got they're doing absolute they're you know up in, I'll give Belt some credit he has been hitting lately Varshal's done absolutely nothing I know he'll improve uh, Belt he's had a couple of good games and. God bless Kiermaier. He, after after Bichette, he's probably the MVP on this team, and it's just it, oh, I, I just can't believe that these guys are. There's not enough. I don't know what the word I want to use is, but Atkins and, and, and Shapiro they really they really need to own up for this because there's too many holes in this lineup, and they've had what seven years now to, to build a championship team, and I just feel like they haven't done their job. I'll stop rambling. I'll hang up and listen. And hey, guys, great show. Hey, Guy, thank you for calling in to Jay's Talk. A uh, lot of good points, certainly, from Guy. Um, I, I, I will say <laughs> I, it almost felt like a, like an unnecessary shot at Kevin Biggio, only, only because he didn't play today. <laughs> but his Guy's point on Biggio's play throughout the whole season, I, I get what he means. But yeah. as far as today's game goes, he obviously <laughs> he obviously didn't play. But I, I, do, I do kind of agree with his point about the bench because 
it, it was illustrated to me when I was thinking about what could happen in that inning where both Espinal had to leave and George Springer got shaken up. And I thought to myself, oh, boy, good heavens. Like if Espinal, Espinal seemed to pull up on his way to second base, kind of looking like, I don't know if it was a hamstring thing. I think he did leave ultimately with hamstring discomfort. So we'll see. Well, you know, ha- hammy injuries can kind of linger. So we'll see how what happens with, with, with Espinal if he has to make a stint to the IL. If he does make a stint to the IL – you got to think that you are going to see like you would hope I should say you're going to see more Whit Merrifield at second but that leaves the outfield a little thinner as well and I suppose you could put Biggio out there but then when Springer also got injured moments later and he stayed in the game so it's, you're certainly hoping there's no concussion like symptoms cuz he he hit the back of his head slash neck kind of like the left side of his head and neck it's like his on trap the, almost yeah, yeah exactly and that that can like, get a lot of nerves there as well yeah. like that can really that can really hit you a little bit later on so you're kind of hoping for the best for for George Springer but again I think it was a good sign that he did stay in the game but you know you kind of you think to yourself for a guy like Springer who has dealt with his fair share of injuries in a Blue Jays uniform if Espinal and Springer I was just thinking in in the moment before Springer looked like he was going to be okay and they gave him back his helmet if they had to both miss time Boy, you're going to see a lot of Kevin Biggio. And I think to a certain degree, that is an indictment um, of the front office because it, it, it's probably, you know, you never want to, you know, comparison is the, the theft of joy. Is, is that what the saying they, they have there, right? You don't, you don't necessarily look to see what Gabriel Moreno and uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. are doing with Arizona. And let me just don't go look. Don't, don't go look to see what Lourdes is doing because uh, it's going quite well for him. Uh, let's let's put it that way. In, in, again, in limited action with a lot of younger outfielders out in Arizona as well. But the point being that would they be in a better spot had they just kept those two guys? Maybe it's definitely it's definitely a valid question. You can't obviously go back on it, but I do think it it, it does speak to how beyond the top end starters, the guy you the guys you see for the most part in the top nine. You're not, you know, there's not a lot of options if people do get injured. Like, who is the next option? Spencer Horwitz, I suppose? Like, is that really the best next internal option right now? Probably. I, I think so. There's a lot to unpack there. I will say on the on the trade, which I know at least recently has really picked up, not, not saying that it was a great trade or a terrible trade or either way, but contracts do factor into to this. They did trade one year of Lourdes Gurriel, if you're going to pit those two against each other, obviously Gabriel Moreno's in there too, but one year of Lourdes Gurriel for the entire rookie contract, essentially, of Dalton Varsho, and that that matters. They would have had to pay a lot to keep Lourdes Gurriel past this year, and your homegrown guys or guys on rookie contracts are always better value for the dollar, at least. But I do think you're right. Uh, The the bench thing is, is coming to a point pretty soon here. I mean, they have... You know, the, kind of also why I was laughing just at Biggio being thrown in there. He started once in the last 10 days. So he is not factoring in very much. And regardless of whether you think that's right or wrong, at a certain point, why are there two guys on your bench in Biggio and Lucas who are essentially not playing at all? Yeah. I mean, they're, if you're not going to use them, is there is there someone else you can bring out? Now, the issue with Horwitz is that he's pretty much only a first baseman. Yeah. And so that almost requires Vladdy or Belt being injured, essentially, knock on wood, for that to happen. Do you go look at an Ernie Clement? He's a guy who's hit lefties really well for Buffalo and has played utility. He's not really a prospect in the big sense of the word because he's in his you know, mid to later 20s at this point, but they don't necessarily need a prospect. They need a, a serviceable utility infielder right now. And if they don't feel they have a utility option – 
perhaps it's time to start looking. And they could be looking. I mean, trades, it's, you know, we all play MLB the show or whatever you want to play. Trades don't happen in a day. They happen over weeks a lot of the time. And it takes a lot of scouting because minor leaguers are often involved in that too. And that's a complicated business. Not to mention the Blue Jays have traded a lot of minor leaguers over the last couple of years and don't exactly have the number one system in baseball. But I I, I do agree that it, it does feel like at this point, if they aren't going to use the guys that they have on the bench, whether that's right or wrong, they should put other guys on the bench that they are going to use. Or yeah, yeah. Nathan Lucas has five at-bats this year. Maybe he should get a start one time. Maybe when George Springer's DHing one time, just throw Nathan Lucas out there and see if he can pick up a hit. And if he does, start him again. And if he picks up another hit, start him again. Because at a certain point, you know, the other teams, if they're using 26 guys and you're using 24, they have an advantage. I just I think it's probably made like a stark comparison when you do look to the other dugout, even in this game today, because you look at the Baltimore Orioles, and I'm not even really comparing them to the, their big guys, like the Ryan Mountcastles and the Adley Rutschmans and the Cedric Mullins of the world. I'm not even comparing it to them. It's like, look at look at what we saw late in this game with the options that Brandon Hyde was able to throw out there against the Blue Jays. We saw Austin Hayes come in. We saw Joey Ortiz come in. And they, they, and again, like and frankly, Ryan O'Hearn is a bench player he, who he hit is. a three-run homer today. Exactly, and 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 that though having those kinds of options clearly is making life easier for a very young, relatively speaking, inexperienced Baltimore Orioles team. And I'm, that that's not to say I don't want it to sound like I'm saying, oh well, you should have beaten the Orioles. The Orioles are a very good team. They are they are a they're good the team. The second best record in all of baseball. In all of baseball, and they're and they're playing. Blair mentioned this a couple nights ago that they're playing effectively with house money and i carefree expectation free i totally agree with that it kind of reminds me of this in the same vein of how the blue jays were kind of looked like looked at in 2021 for example right so i just i don't know there there needs to be some kind of addition or change when it comes to the bench options and unfortunately it feels like that will kind of have to come through uh via trade before we take a quick break let's hear from john schneider one more time, he uh, spoke to the media. We heard a little bit about him owning up to the mistake on the mound visit. Let's hear what Schneider had to say on the struggles the team has faced so far in the last seven days. I know you, you've been through this enough that you have the long view and let the season breathe and all of that, but how frustrating has this week been overall? Yeah, overall, yeah. I mean, week, you know, it's 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 a tough part of the schedule. We knew that, you know, when we saw it, we knew, we knew it months ago and it is what it is. It's not going to get any easier. You know, every team in the league is good. So it doesn't matter if you're playing a team in the AL East or the AL Central, the NL West, you know, teams are good and every, every night is going to be a battle. But yeah, I think, you know, this team is, you know, I, I always look back to what we talk about in spring training. This is a very talented team. This is, you know, we're two for 15 with runners in scoring position, which means we have 15 chances to get somebody in, which means we're doing something right. So, I mean, right now, I mean, the season has so many ups and downs. And, and, you know, right now, it's just one of those things where everything seems like it's not going our way. And it, it takes one day. You know what I mean? It takes one day. You got Kevin Gosman tomorrow, which you love. And hopefully you just win tomorrow and build off of that. For what it's worth, John Steiner mentioning the tough schedule. The Blue Jays, per baseball reference, are tied with the Red Sox and the White Sox for playing the toughest schedule so far in Major League Baseball. The Rays, who lead the division by far, 22nd toughest, and the Orioles, 12th toughest schedule in baseball. 
Let's take a very quick break, Ben. When we come back, we'll pick back up on that. We'll go back to the phone lines, back to the text line. We haven't talked really at all about the bullpen today. And the bullpen and... I don't know if it's overuse, perhaps, of Eric Swanson and Jordan Romano. Uh, maybe, again, does this go back to John Schneider taking out pitchers with two outs, right? Is is that a part of it? Is that, is that the biggest part of it or just a part of it? I do want to have that conversation after the break. So let's take that break. You're listening to Jay's Talk, Show and Ben on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to Jay's Talk. Sportsnet Radio Network. Show Ali Ben Shulman with you for another 10 minutes or so. As we're chatting about a 6-5 Blue Jays defeat at the hands of the Baltimore Orioles in extra innings. Blue Jays now, unfortunately, at the uh, bottom of the ALE standings. I suppose that could, in theory, change, Ben, depending on what happens to the Boston Red Sox tonight. But I think they would have to lose by a very large margin, I think, in order for that to be the case. Uh, Speaking of which... Let's check in on the Major League Standings Watch presented by Bet365. With Bet365, you can bet on things like player props, totals, or game outcomes across many different sports. 19-plus play responsibly, Ontario only. So the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, I believe they did win today. They did. I think they were up 8-3 to three last I checked. And, yep, they won 8-4 to four over the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, they are 34-13. and 13. The Baltimore Orioles, with their win today against the Blue Jays, are 30-16. and 16. The Yankees did come back against the Reds. They were down 4-2 to two early. They Luke Maley had a big homer. Luke Maley did hit a home run for the Cincinnati Reds. Remember him? But uh, on, unfortunately for Reds fans, and I would say the and rest Luke of the Maley AL fans. East, and, and Luke Maley <laughs> Such fans, as myself. Uh, the Yankees had come back to win in uh, 10 innings, uh, 7-4. The Yankees win. They're 28-20. Boston is playing in a couple of hours. They're on the West Coast taking on Xander Bogarts and the Padres. They are 25-20 and 20 entering play. And with the loss, the Blue Jays are bringing up the rear, unfortunately, of the AL East at 25 and 21. So those are your major league standings watch. And it only gets tougher. They're taking on the Baltimore Orioles for one more tomorrow, 1.37 p.m. Eastern first pitch. And then a four-game series in Tampa against the dreaded Tampa Bay Rays. And, I mean, like when the team is 34 and 13, it's already tough, Ben. But when you have to go play them at their home ballpark, specifically a place, Tropicana Field, which the Blue Jays, a place the Blue Jays have not had a lot of success in, it, again, does not get a lot easier. And they're 21 and 3 at home this year to compound that in case, Gross. you know, that, like I, I kind of said it before the game, there were a lot of bad Tampa Bay Rays teams that the Blue Jays still struggled against in the trop, you know, in the in the mid 2010s and stuff like that when the Blue Jays were a powerhouse and yeah it's not a fun place to play ever especially not when the Rays are pretty clearly the best team in baseball right now although the injuries are slowly creeping up on them but they, they keep putting W's up. They keep winning. The Tampa yeah. Bay Rays do keep winning so we'll see how that goes when the series starts on Monday uh, evening just a little after uh, 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, let's go back to the text line here, Ben. Okay. 590-590, name and location. A lot of texts on, certainly on John Schneider. We talked a lot about the mound visit and so on already and about the struggles the team has faced, but also about the bullpen. So here are a whole bunch. I'm just going to compile a bunch of them for us, and we can we can chat about these texts. But there, Well, there's no name on this one, but this says, uh, Schneider should have left Swanson on. He brings these pitchers out. Richards, Swanson, too early, not ending the inning. There's another one here. Let's see. Uh, where is it? Uh, here he is. Uh, Andrew from Kitchener. Uh, Schneider 
Should go back to Buffalo, screwing Manoa over, pulling Swanson for Romano. It's not great. I'm just hoping they end the season over 500. I got. I mean, like I understand being upset, but uh, I because they are in a tough division and it was an ugly loss. There's no way. There's no two ways about it. Ugly loss today. But um, the the Swanson for Romano thing, and then there's another one from Tony and Kitchener who who does. I will give Tony credit. Does text in pretty uh, pretty consistently on Jordan Romano and the slider. And the slider is what Orion O'Hearn did. It's a big uh, day smack, for Tony. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> into the uh, into the seats for a, for a game tying home run. Oh boy! It just I I do kind of question the decision making specifically with two outs. Now it does kind of feel like John Schneider adheres more to the whole you take a guy out with one batter too early rather than one batter too late. Of course, you never really know when one batter too early or one batter too late is. Of course, you just until you find until out. You find until out. Ryan O'Hearn tells you. Yeah, exactly. I I do kind of wonder, and I, I'm kind of find can't find the the text here, but uh, there was one on the idea that maybe because he takes pitchers out too early, they are starting to see the effects of overuse. And I do think Jordan Romano is ultimately a good closer is he an an elite closer i would argue there are not very many elite closers but i would also make a a very good argument that he's like in the hall of very good closers instead of the hall of elite closers let's call it right but eric swanson and again he's gotten used a lot lately he got used used yesterday he's struggled a bit lately and he he has starting to to show a little and i'm not saying he's he's losing it but I do kind of wonder if maybe again you talk about all the the areas of this of need this team has. You and I have talked about it before. The bullpen getting one more arm back, and maybe the return of Adam Simber will be that. Could be big, but uh, they they probably do need one more arm just to rework the order of things so guys aren't getting used for two innings or four outs or whatever it might be. Yeah, it's it's hard. I mean, the bullpen as a whole, it would it would be hard for me to say that it, it's been overused. Coming into this game, they had pitched the second fewest innings of any bullpen in Major League Baseball. The starters for the Blue Jays were coming into today pitching about as many innings as anyone in Major League Baseball. To to me personally, it's less on Schneider and just I, I just think more on the arms. I mean, collectively, it has not been a great season for the Blue Jays bullpen. And as much as Schneider is there pulling the strings, Eric Swanson struggled three or four times in a row. He would have been the easy answer to this question a week ago. Who is, like, locked down so far? There haven't been a lot of answers to that question. Week to week, different guys have been locked down. And most of these guys have the talent to be. I mean, Tim Mays has had a pretty good season. I, I wouldn't take that away from him. But he he did not he didn't even really pitch today all that much he was, in this game. Yeah, today yeah. he wasn't a factor. But, but, but I guess my point is maybe he should have been more of a factor. Yeah, it is, you know, he it is. I understand they you, use him for a lot of these, like, these lefty-heavy pockets in the lineup, but he's just been pitching well generally. Maybe, maybe they should be using him more just to alleviate some strain on every other member of the high leverage, the high leverage members of the bullpen. Yeah, I mean, if I were to, again, I really, in my opinion, it's more just about the pitchers than the decisions, but... If I were to look at one decision, once all the stuff with the double mound visits has happened, because that was not an intentional decision, Tim Meza gets the out. There are two lefties coming up in the seventh inning in Ryan O'Hearn and Taryn Vavra. I am confused why you don't necessarily stick with Meza in that situation. Right. Richards ends up giving up a hit to O'Hearn, and then he walks Cedric Mullins because he ends up facing the top of the order. Another left-handed batter, by the way. Like, this was an inning with three left-handed hitters in four. 
So I do think Tim Mesa certainly could have been used longer there. But to me, a lot of it, I, I, I think just a lot of it falls on they just have not executed well enough yet. They're top half of the league in walks per nine. They're top five in the league in home runs per nine. I, I just think they need to get a little bit more than they've gotten so far out of the pen. And we've said it, your pen, you know, if you're a playoff team or even close, your pen to start the year or your pen at game 40 is not going to be your pen later in the season. Everyone adds there. It's the cheapest and easiest place to do it. They need more. Like, they, in this rough stretch, if you think about the series that they've lost recently to division rivals too, a handful of games in Boston, they they need more, frankly. Not out of one guy specifically. I think just out of the bunch. I see a text here, and we'll wrap up on this because we only have a couple minutes left here. Uh, Ruben in Alberta says, after throwing two scoreless using gas 97-99 mostly, Romano goes back to abusing the slider, hangs an 86 slider middle down, and he gets hammered. He has good stuff. I like him, but he needs to be more savvy, which I think is a valid comment. I do kind of wonder, It just Ruben's comment reminded me, I was reading this article on the in The Athletic the other day about how a lot of how pitcher injuries are up this year, and a lot of it does to a certain degree, Ben, have to do with guys just throwing as hard as they humanly possibly can, as much as they humanly possibly can. And I kind of wonder to a certain degree how much of Jordan Romano's fastball slider mix has to do with the analytics department saying, look, you can use the 97-99-mile-an-hour fastball, 100-mile-an-hour fastball to blow guys away, but you just can't be doing it all that much. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make excuses. I'm just saying I do kind of wonder how much that goes into the decision-making when you do see pitcher injuries, flexor strains and TJ surgeries and stuff being up virtually for every pitcher, both starter and reliever. It, it could be the case. I would hope uh, my philosophy would be that your starter should all, or not your starter, your closer should always go in and throw absolutely pretty much as hard as he can because your relievers are emptying the tank in one day. But how much of it has to do with Romano having to pitch two innings today? That's, right? that's a tough thing. I mean, he pitched a phenomenal two innings against New York, and then you're asking him again today to pitch four outs, and maybe you're right. Maybe he comes in, and because he knows he has to pitch four outs, he's not throwing his hardest. Who knows? I mean, both his fastball and his slider were down in velo today. It's tough. They, they need more consistency out of the pen, especially while their offense is scuffling a little bit right now. Well, Ben, we'll hope for more consistency tomorrow. Kevin Gossman will head to the mound for the Blue Jays. Uh, Dean Kramer will go for the Baltimore Orioles. Thank you for listening to the Blue Jays Baseball and the Blue Jays Baseball Network, brought to you by Crown Rust Protection. Did you know that vehicles rust faster in warmer weather as the weather warms and we all get ready for summer? Make sure your vehicle is protected from rust with Crown. Visit crown.com for your nearest location. For Ben, Ben Wagner, Blake Murphy, Tom Young, Andrew Adams, Nick Blackmore, I'm Show Ali. Thanks for being with us on Jays Talk this evening. A 6-5 loss for the Blue Jays in Game 2 against the Orioles. Again tomorrow, Kevin Gossman will hit the mound against his former team to wrap up the series here at Rogers Center. Ben and I will be back tomorrow for more Jays Talk. We'll talk to you then.